But there's been moments where the wind was knocked out of me. And I think it's in those moments that we have to muster, we have to rally harder and we have to be there because if it got knocked out of me, it got knocked out of everybody, right? Some new blow. And and if you think about the spoken word, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. It's like wind in people's sails. It's started movements. It makes the invisible visible and it makes people feel all the feels. I'm Julie Masters and you're listening to Inside Influence. Today I'm back with some more minis, as in mini episodes. Over the past few weeks, I've I've actually been really loving reaching out to some of the past legends of this podcast and just getting brass tacks with them about how their area of genius has changed, what stayed the same and what they're learning often and as is life usually, the hard way, about influence and what it looks like in a brand new environment. Now, who knows? There's nothing kind of regular about this right now. It may become a permanent fixture in the podcast, but like all things at the moment, it's up for negotiation. So if you like it, let me know on your channel of choice and we'll keep going. This week's minis are both on the theme of the tough stuff. To break that down, how we influence ourselves and the people we're here to support during those bits of life that can sometimes just feel like being totally alone in the wilderness. The parts where the old rules are outdated and often unhelpful, aka co-parenting, or where you now need to lead a team through one of the toughest times they've ever faced in a situation that you have never faced before. I know that both of those situations sound kind of different on the surface. You know, what does a Fortune 500 CEO really have in common with a stay-at-home parent? But in my head and my heart, as a parent and a business owner, any lessons that I learn in one environment tend to be just as effective in the other. And I found that over and over again in my career, because in both situations, right, you're, you're doing the best that you can to support the people that depend on you. And you're feeling most days like you're making it up on the spot. And I think that's one of the most understated parts of both parenting and leading is that it doesn't come with a rule book. And also you constantly feel like you're building and rebuilding boundaries as you go, setting one up, watching it fall, going, okay, I'll try another one. All of these skills, all of these things apply in both worlds. Now, what I love about these episodes is that because they've been on before, we get to pick right up where we left off. In fact, in some of them, today's included, they got so real so fast that I actually ended up having to hit pause, ask them to stop and stumble over myself to hit the record button in time. So in this episode, I speak with Nancy Duarte, CEO and founder of Silicon Valley's largest and most successful communications firm, Duarte Inc. Nancy has spent the last 30 years immersed in the world of human storytelling and has been behind the scenes in some of the most compelling speeches, or as she calls them, impassioned pleas that we have ever seen including one of my personal favorites, Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth. She has worked with thought leaders of global brands like Apple, Cisco, Facebook, GE, Google, HP, TED, Twitter, the World Bank. I'll stop now. But basically, if you're in Silicon Valley, you would probably know her. She is also the renowned author of Illuminate, Resonate and Slideology. Her TED Talk, The Secret Structure of Great Talks, has also been watched over three million times. 
Now, this conversation weaves between her observations as a storytelling expert, but also her experiences as a leader since this pandemic began, where, like many of us, her skills as a communicator have been stretched to a whole new place. Now, if you want to dive into our original conversation, which is actually one of the most useful explorations of structure of epic presentations that I've ever heard, um, go back, I think it was the year before last, we'll put an an episode number in the show notes um, for you to dig it out. But today we jump straight into the stories that resonate in the messy middle of a crisis, how to tell the hard stories. And there's, there's no getting around the fact that there are hard stories to tell right now and why not every story is for everyone. And that's just okay. The three act structure, why it works and how to use it in a virtual setting and her take on what the epic stories and storytellers of the future will look like. And believe me, this woman is behind the scenes at many of the companies that are literally rewriting the future of storytelling as I say this. So if she speaks, I generally listen. What I want you to reflect on here is not necessarily the tools, although obviously please do, but her reflections as a leader of her own team. Now, there aren't any obvious answers for anyone at the moment, and it's easy to imagine that the experts must have it down, right? But what I took from this conversation is that all the tools and the strategies in the world don't matter if we can't first find the courage to be seen, to show up in the chaos when we don't have the answers, or to stand in the fire alongside our people when it counts. On that note, I am going to leave you in the very safe hands of one of my own personal mentors, Nancy Duarte. Welcome back to the podcast, Nancy Duarte. Oh, hi, Julie. Hi. It's so good to have you back. It's good to be here. So good to have you back. Let's just jump in. You know, the last time that we talked, we were talking about storytelling, you know, deep conversation on storytelling, on presentations, on what it takes to be captivating, compelling, which I think is something that many, many people, we all battle with. It's one thing to have the information and the logic and to know you're the best person for the job or the best person for the pitch. It's another thing to communicate that in a way where somebody else agrees, right? (laughs) So I'm just going to jump in because this is about practical, like what can people practically put into place tomorrow? So before we talked about a three-act structure, using a three-act structure, how does that convert to virtual presentations? Does it convert and how does it convert? Yeah, virtual presenting is a bit trickier. Uh, I think that's a bit of a spectrum. Like if you need to do uh, some of the big events are going really big where the execs are on green screen with video going behind them, uh, you have to show up really polished, but you have to create more uh, smaller bursts of three-act structures and insert more um, Halloween candy-sized bites of content. Um, The other extreme is internal communication. I think the execs need to have their kids crawling on them. Like you need to be real and show everyone that you're in it with them. And the story, specifically the three act structure has been a very important coping mechanism in my own culture because the way that uh, the remote communication makes you feel, you lose that sense of human connection and bonding. And so literally telling stories and taking time to tell a story or two will knit your heart um, to each other. I think that's important right now to create meaning. Can you just give me an overview of, for anybody that didn't listen to the first podcast, what is the three X structure? What is it and how do we use it? It's a classic storytelling structure. Our brains are wired for it. And uh, basically 
the act one is that there's this likable hero, this person that you like enough to root for. Act two is they jump into the messy middle. It's just messy. It's hard. Life is hard. We're dealt roadblocks and challenges. You have to fight the dragon. You have to catch the girl, you know, (laughs) just all of life's problems. And it's because of the messy middle that the third act happens, which is you were changed by that messy middle. In some way, you were transformed because of what you just went through. And life's hard right now. Like there's a real quest for meaning. And I have found a lot of people are getting hope in my previous storytelling around uh, resilience. This is our fifth crisis. So this isn't my first rodeo around this. And I think telling stories right now in the three-act structure, look, I, I have a business and it's hard. I went through all these hardships and I've emerged change and you can too. So in storytelling, you should start with the lesson. What's the lesson I want people to learn? What's the hope I want them to leave with? And you start there and then you find the story that gives them the right emotional fuel that they need to make it, to make it another day, to make it another week, another year, keep going. There's a lot of crises going on right now. Like lots of layers of crisis. We were talking about that, you know, there's this personal crisis that's going on. There's business crisis that's going on. There's social crisis that's going on. There's economic. And with all destruction, there there are some beautiful sparks and flares that are happening on the periphery and and part of the role of storytelling as a leader um, or as a speaker or, you know, whatever we are storytellers as a parent Mm -hmm. is to pick those sparks and flares up and communicate them to the people that are around us. Either, you know, we have been through this before, I have been through this before, this is somebody who went through this and they came out changed and we can too. Um, As you said, storytelling is the thing that knits our hearts back together. Yeah, it does. And so talk to me about the telling of hard stories. I think that that's something, you know, when I'm talking to CEOs, that's something that they're really struggling with at the moment because they... They're required to storytell on a regular basis as in to keep, to keep in touch regularly. Sometimes the stories that they have or the information that they have to give is the hard information. You know, this isn't good. We need to let people go. We've lost this client. We need to freeze uh-huh. this. And sometimes even when it's not hard information, it's just uncertain information. Like I don't have any more information yeah. for you. I don't know any more than you do. Yeah. How do we tell the hard stories? Yeah, I love that because I, I think there there are three types of endings to a story. There's uh, like you could call it a, a tragedy or a comedy or it's inconclusive. So a comedy would simply means it has a happy ending. A tragedy means uh, it's got a sad ending. Inconclusive is kind of where we're at right now, right? It's like a, it's kind of inconclusive. And um, what I chose to do is be really honest. Like we're a small, closely held corporation. And I I just went up, I did three uh, financial acumen because not everybody really knows how to understand or how to read the times, especially not in my firm. Very open, opened up the books, explained what the P, what a PNL is, but then also walked through. This is what I look at. I picked, I chose five pieces of data. I looked at it every day. I opened it up, let everyone else just look at it so they would see what I I would see, and then I would draw really clear conclusions from it, as clear as they could be. It's foggy, right? It's uncertainty. Nobody, I can't be declarative about exactly when this is, you know, it's going to end or exactly when everything's going to turn around, but everybody is in search of certainty. And so that's why a story has been an important fuel in between. And, and telling difficult news is hard. And I've had my ups and downs as an entrepreneur. I remember one day I was on the veranda. I was all excited because I could 
could see this vision of the future. And then I had to come right in right after that into an employee meeting and I had to deliver uncertainty, right? And so I had to modulate what I was feeling, how I was showing up, what I was saying and do a really tight empathy walk with these people who feel blindfolded, like they feel blindfolded and I have to be their eyes and ears and at least share with them everything I see, everything I feel, everything I know um, and then let them know we can't draw con- we can't draw definitive conclusions, but this is my conclusion for today and for the next month. Um, it's been it's been hard, but it's also, I think, been, uh, for me as a leader, I've communicated possibly my finest. I don't say that very often about myself. It's not been easy. I've not been perfect. I've been flawed. I've hurt people accidentally, um, never intentionally, but uh, it's just a really, really tough time right now. And um, I use video. I've been doing video memos so people could not just read the words and make assumptions about my tone. I actually uh, film it so they could actually hear the tone and, uh, and timbre of my voice and understand exactly where I'm coming from. About 12 minutes long, I'm getting notes of affection in a very difficult season, which is always nice as a leader. And I'm, and you know, there's a couple of people pretty pissed off, but never be perfect. It's not. Never, never. It's, it's a, a mess. Time. It's messy. It's a freaking pandemic. <laughs> I feel like I'm quoting Brene Brown a lot at the moment, which they call them first times, messy first times, friggin' first. I don't know. But basically we've, the, the bottom line, we've never done this before. There's a couple of things that you said in there from a leadership standpoint. The first one is when we don't have the answers, providing a framework for our decision-making is one of the most powerful things that we can do. Yes. So I don't know how this is going to end up, but these are the data points that I will be looking at. This is probably, you know, I'm going to be looking at this. And if this happens, then these yeah. are the decisions I will be looking at making. So you can see my entire decision-making framework yeah. and you can come with me because I don't know when these things are going to kick in or how they're going to play out. This is the roadmap that I am using. And it's been interesting to see who's interested in that and who would rather continue to hide. Because we even had a framework for, look, here's our cash. It's no one's business. Here's our cash. Here's our this. And we showed them the step down process and exactly what we would burn when, where we would try to stop the burn. You know, it was just really, I thought it was really informative. And and the people who watched it were like, holy cow, that was powerful. And then some people are like, nope, I never want to watch it. I just want to come to work every day and pedal, you know, pedal my little bike, do my dues and then go home and just comprehend the world. Like they don't want to care about how I'm handling the crisis. They just want to trust I'm doing it. And I didn't make it mandatory. Like I didn't make these meetings mandatory, but the ones that watched it loved them. That's part of the mastery of storytelling for me is that you understand that the people that you're talking to, they comprehend things in very different ways. You have the ones that are interested in the data, right? Like you've got the ones that Mm -hmm. are just going, give me more information. I want to know everything that you know, everything that you're thinking. And then you have the other people who, you know, I don't need all of that. Just, yeah. I say, tell me a story. I don't mean a fictional story, but just weave me, weave me a narrative yeah. that I can hold on to. And I will just keep doing the do. You need to walk both lines mm-hmm. when you're trying to communicate as a leader, especially, I mean, yeah. talk to me about those 12 minute videos that you put together. Was there, was there an arc that you used for that? Mm-hmm. Or was it really just however you were feeling in the moment? I would spend about two hours on Friday mornings prepping and planning and making sure I, I was empathetic. And, and then I would have, you know, all my notes and everything. And uh, they did all have an arc and every single one of them had uh, something to be hopeful about. Not you know, it's not fabricated, but it's literally people left after every single one feeling good, like feeling good about the business, feeling good about decisions that were made. Um, they weren't all full of happy news, um, but 
Yeah, they had an absolute framework and it follows my presentation form pretty closely, right? Just walk us through that for, yeah. for anyone who's who's having to do these updates, having to do a presentation, yeah. either delivering hard news or not, or just updates. What What is the ARC? A great talk will have, uh, will use contrast and that's the contrast between what is and what could be um, as a structural device. So if you think about story, there's a rise and fall, there's a rise and a cathartic release and that's what can create this rise and fall in your talk. Um, so what happens is you state the current realities, whatever they may be, and you got to be honest because I actually queried a lot of people like what was on your mind and they were things I never would have thought of as on my mind. So I made sure I, I addressed some of the things on people people's minds that never would have crossed mine. And then I talk about, here's what we're doing to address all of those things. And here's what this place is going to look like in the future. Here's what we're doing about the future state you're all concerned about. Um, And it would move back and forth as a structural device, back and forth between what is and what could be. And then I always ended on the new bliss. And here's how our future is going to look if we all rally and overcome this this thing, you know, whatever that thing of the week was. Um, So it followed. I probably should, it would be interesting to see. I could go back and analyze them and make sure they follow the form. Um, It wasn't something I did on purpose. It was something I wrote from my heart and it just kind of naturally followed the form. And you do that on a weekly basis every Friday morning? Yeah, some of the time, most of them. I think I'm on number 18. So however many weeks it's been, the next one will be number 18. So sometimes it's every week, every other week, sometimes twice a week. I'm on my 18th one. Do you ever, (laughs) do you ever sit there and just, you know, as a moment as, you know, we both lead teams, we both, we both lead teams of people. And do you ever just sit there and think, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know. Because I, I remember that feeling very clearly. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. And anybody that asked me, especially in the first three to four weeks of this, all I could think about, I just, I don't know what to say. I, I don't have the words. And that's very unusual for me. Usually words are something that comes easily <laughs> for me. Yeah. You know, I live in a world of words. And usually yeah. I can find the words in, and I struggled with that. And I know, especially at this point in the messy middle, the act two, however mm-hmm. long this goes, I was talking to another CEO recently and she said, you know, I feel like the rhetoric that I had before, which is we can get through this, we can get through this, you know, just buckle down. We can get through this, this sprint metaphor that I was using. It's gone now because it's not a sprint and I don't know what to say anymore. Do you, what do you do in those moments where you just don't know what to say? First, when shelter in place happened, we told five stories of resilience and then everybody kind of geared up. They were productive and all of that. And now I'm like you, I'm not that short of words all the time, but there's been moments where the wind was knocked out of me. And I think it's in those moments that we have to muster, we have to rally harder and we have to be there because if it got knocked out of me, it got knocked out of everybody, right? Some new blow. And and if you think about the spoken word, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. It's like wind in people's sails. It's starting movements. It makes the invisible visible and it makes people feel all the feels. And I think you just need to hunker down and acknowledge that, hey, I got the wind knocked out of me too. um, And here's how we're going to solve it. So I know there's a lot of fatigue right now in employees specifically. And so we're trying to figure that out too. Like what kind of grace can we give everybody so that they can repair and heal? I just think in the times we don't want to talk, it's the times they want to hear us talk the most. And they want to know what's on our minds and they want to know what makes us cry and they want to know what makes us laugh. They want to know what makes us get out of the bed and continue to lead in March. This is going to be a long March. That's what story does. It creates meaning. That's what helps me get out of the bed. And that's what helps, I think, a lot of others show up at my shop anyway, um, is for the power of the meaning that's there. It's pretty, pretty powerful. 
I mean, that's just that's a common that's a common thing, right? Where in the times where we want to be seen the least, in the times yeah. where we want to crawl to the back of our cave, those are usually the times where we need to be seen the most. Let's go, let's go really granular, just in, in case it's helpful for anybody listening to this, which I'm sure it will be. What are some of the things? What are the, some of the common mistakes people make when they're when they're either storytelling, presenting, making videos, Zoom calls, just from a very practical standpoint? Yeah, I think first is low empathy. They forget to think about who's on the receiving end, and we just have a modality and we go there. We just start spewing our information without first thinking about what is the modality, who's on the other end, how might what they might be feeling today. Um, so I think. Empathy goes a long way. Um, I also think depending on who you're talking to, I think camera work is very important in selling, in internal video memos or whatever you're trying to do. So I scooch the person's face about the size, like your face is the size of a postage stamp right up by my camera, way up as tight as I can to the camera, because I want you to feel like I'm looking at you like you're seen. And right now, a lot of people don't feel seen. And depending on where my eye contact is will make you feel like I see you. Um, And that's another really important point. Another thing is structure your meetings and structure your presentations really well. Like remote fatigue is a real thing. So if something can be done in 10 minutes or 20, just do it in 10 or 20 minutes and uh, let people have their time back. So, and then again, uh, you have to chunk things a bit differently, your content. If it's a formal presentation or a webinar, you just have to chunk them in more consumable bites and use more humor um, a little bit, tastefully um, use humor to keep people's interest. Um, So um, those are a handful, a small wad of tips for you. And I know you you and the team have been working really hard with with organizations at the moment, helping them to convert what would have been a massive live event into, Uh and you know, you work with some of the, the the biggest firms in Silicon Valley into online, uh-huh. into online events or online content. What have you, what have you been learning? Cause that, that is another question that's out there at the moment. Yeah. How do I take this and make it as engaging is, do I turn a day into an hour? Is it still a day? Is it, yeah. what makes you know, it engaging? I, that's a good question. I, I think the whole concept of an event where you carve out two, three days in this kind of environment, it, it's just way too difficult if you don't have the effervescence of human contact and human touch. And so we're seeing that it's wise to own a certain hour of a certain day of the week. Like I'm going to own every Tuesday at nine and my content will be delivered every Tuesday at nine. So there's stuff like that happening. The interesting thing about the role we play is we don't decide what platform you should be on. We don't decide if you should have a green screen with fancy graphics. We're the present. We're the people who will write and produce your talk and get all your execs ready for their talk. So we go kind of laterally across every kind of event. Everything from ship a bunch of green screens to people's house to build seven sets, like one company built seven video studios on their property so they could socially distance. And some are just like, I'm, I'm just going to talk in the camera into a Zoom or Skype. Um, and everyone handles it differently. Content trumps everything in this medium. doesn't matter if I had swirling graphics behind me or not. It's the content and the structure that are going to add the value. And the production quality is just a variable that's like, whoa, that was whooshy and fun. And wow, they had cool graphics. You know, but it's really the content that's the most important thing in this medium, how valuable it is right now. How much are you getting people unstuck? How valuable is the material you're delivering that makes it feel magical, makes it feel like, oh, my God, that was a magical moment. Um, That's what people are craving right now. So, yeah, we've seen everything from 
massive Hollywood, you know, hiring Hollywood studios to literally some of the most effective even just been looking in the camera and giving really, really valuable information. So So the magic, the takeaway there that for me is the magic isn't the production. And I think a lot of conversation is happening at the moment around production, green screen, how much money do we spend? Do we have like buzzing around behind our heads? The magic isn't the production in this environment. The magic is, is the content itself. The magic Mm -hmm. is often the imperfection of of the content. Some of the most magical content I've been watching has been quite. Yeah. The archives. Now people are finding the ones that are highly produced or at least edited when they're done and tightened up. Like if you do, at least hire an editor, they're finding that the archival value of the events is stronger um, because it's video first. So one of the things that happened at TED is their video, once they went online and they started taping all their talks, they chose to do video quality first um, and the people in the audience second. And so that's what's happening now is the archival, the value of people to attend the event after, it's higher value for them uh, now that it's kind of video first. And then once you've got it video, oh. you can cut it any which way you like. Exactly. Put it anywhere exactly. you want, turn it into a podcast, turn it into a blog series, yeah. do whatever you like. And I know you and, and I have been talking about cornerstone content for a long time. Like yeah. get the long form, get the content right, split it up any which way you like after that. Final question. What do you see, and this might be putting you on the spot, what do you see the epic stories and storytellers of the future looking like now? How do you see this space? Wow, oh, that's such a good, um, it's such a good question. I think there's those who will tell stories and those who won't. There's a muscle, I think, with the speed of change and the speed of that things happen, we're going to enter into almost like new eras quicker. I would say like big era like ships shifts used to happen every five to seven years. And I think we just flipped into a couple of new era defining moments. And I think there's going to be leaders who are going to be able to get their people there in mass and others who won't. So I think um, the tools have changed, uh, but I think independent of the tools, we're seeing a lot more hunger for storytelling in the C-suite, especially around DNI. People are realizing they failed um, they failed to create um, the diversity part. Some people have nailed. It's the inclusion part that storytelling helps, makes people feel included. Um, so I think um, HR is latching onto it more and the C-suite has been latching onto it more. Um, but I think that's a really, really good question about what is the storyteller look like? I think business people need to start to share what they learned in this era. And I think someone will rise up. We're still all looking for who's the Steve Jobs yeah, who's the great, great business communicator? And I have my bet on a couple of people, but somebody's going to rise and bring clarity. Somebody has to rise. Somebody has to rise and bring clarity. During this time in, in every industry, there will be some, I say icons in the in the loosest possible way, mm-hmm. influencers, authorities, whatever you want to yes. call it. There will be some that rise. Yeah. And those that, those that can do it and those that commit to doing it from a skills standpoint, from a consistency, mm-hmm. from a courage standpoint, yeah. will be the ones that the industries will look to for the next however many years. I think so. Yeah. I think this is going to define whoever we deem the most innovative leader for this century. I could picture that. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for coming back again. Thank you. Of course. Jumping back on with me. Um, as always, it's a pleasure. Hey, it's so good to see you.
Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and found tons and tons of useful ideas and insights for growing your own influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your influence journey, if you want to take everything you have learned today and just ramp it up a notch, or you just want to learn more about the power of thought leadership when it comes to growing a business, an enterprise, or spreading an idea, there is now also a research paper that you can download from my website, juliemasters.com. Pop in your email address. It is free. We will not spam you, but it is jam-packed full of all the ideas, tools, and case studies that I have come across in 10 years of doing this work. It's called the Influencer Code. It's not long, but it is full of value. So download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope that it makes a massive difference in your career or business. Thank you always to our producer, co-founder, and the main brain, I'm not joking, behind the Inside Influence podcast, Lauren Kelly. In the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an interview.